I should have been a cowboy. And we'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? my friends to yet another episode of the mind dog tv podcast i'm matt napo thanks for coming it's great to have you as always uh just when you think you pushed all the right buttons sometimes it just doesn't work out that way uh but it's great to have you here uh we have another episode of meet the author had some great authors on lately uh and that as a result of some uh really um strong literary literary agents who have um who, who have made contact and have a slew of really interesting authors from all, all, all sorts of uh, genres and interest groups. Uh, so it's been a really good rise and, a ride, and we're going to continue that ride tonight. Um, you know, the authors that I've, we, we've had on lately have been doing really well as far as bringing in numbers to the listenership of the podcast and the viewership. So that's encouraging. That means at least people are interested in reading, whether they're actually going out and reading. Uh, but interest is a, is a start. And I think it, it's probably where we begin to kind of uh, heal the idiocracy, <laughs> if you will. Uh, before I bring my, my uh, guest in, I need to talk about a couple of sponsors. I'm going to keep it as short as I can tonight. Do the uh, the used cars uh, kind of uh quick read on some of them. mybookie.com is one of the most popular <laughs> I'm sorry mybookie.com is one of the most popular and trusted brands in the online gambling community its sportsbook offers an incredible variety of sports from american staples such as football and basketball to international sports as kbo rugby and cricket it even offers wagers on entertainment and politics and simulated sports video games such as Madden 21 and NBA 2K21. If you're looking for a line on your favorite TV show, and I can't imagine what you could bet on on a TV show, but you can most certainly find it at MyBookie. Uh, MyBookie's casino options are as plentiful as its sports books. There are 27 different table games such as blackjack and roulette and almost 300 unique slot options, 77 of which are 3D. Uh, you can even play live table games, and video poker. Now, here's the thing. Uh, it's easy to get started. You can just go to mybookie.com, but if you put in the promo code MINDDOG, they're going to match your deposit offer uh, right up to $1,000. So let's just say you're you're a small-time player. You want to play with 20, 10 bucks. It will instantly turn into 20 bucks. They'll match your offer straight up to 1000 So if you're a high roller, as they say, uh, you put down $1,000, it instantly becomes $2,000. Where can you do that? You can't. There's no place in the world where you can double your money that quickly. I'm not sure if you could just cash out at that point, though. That would be an interesting. Try it and let me know. Uh, go to mybookie.com, put in the uh, promo code MINDDOG, deposit $1,000, and then try to pull it right out as $2,000 and let me know what happens. <laughs> Should be interesting. We'll hear back from you in about 10 minutes. It didn't work. Um, <laughs> my other sponsor for tonight, I'm in a goofy mood tonight. I'm sorry. Um, my other sponsor for tonight is FunWise Capital, a, a business lender matching platform that gets you the best lines of credit, guaranteed, apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to at all to your credit score to see how much you can get. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. I did say start. 
Uh, but I didn't mean like if you just got an idea or a whim about starting a business, that won't cut it. You need a solid business plan backed up by uh, a business plan, a marketing plan. Sit down with an accountant, get your ducks in a row, as they say, get it all documented, and they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. The strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Um, they provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, uh, bridge loans, all that kind of stuff, all that kind of blah, 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 blah. Uh, you, they work with real estate, startups, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started with them, it's just as simple. You just go to apply.funwise.com slash mind dog. That's apply.funwise.com slash mind dog. I do appreciate you patronizing the sponsors and all the links will be in the description. Now on to the big program for tonight. As I mentioned, we're going to play meet the author again. And the author tonight is somebody uh, who I, I find very interesting because I love the Southwest. I really love the Southwest and uh, almost every one of her books has a cowboy hat or some uh boots on, on on the cover in some way even if it's on a skeleton uh so it it interests me because i love that stuff and you know i do and charles is a usa today best-selling author who writes award-winning mysteries that are splashed with humor romance and whatever else sounds fun and cowboy hat sounds fun to me ladies and gentlemen please open your ears open your minds and help me welcome in and charles from my dog tv podcast and welcome Hi, thank you. Uh, thanks for be being here. So uh, I imagine because all your books, or many of your books, uh, have a cowboy hat on it and, and some of your uh, promotional photos do, you're a Southwestern girl, yes? I am. I wasn't born here, but I've been here as long as I, um, off and on through the years, and now we live here down, um, well, we're actually north of Phoenix, a little ways in the mountains. But yes, Southwest. I do love it down here. Yeah. So how did, how did you find your way out there? <laughs> oh, it's been, well, it's been a lot of decades of moving around to get here. Um, and I was here back in my early 20s, lived up in Flagstaff and went to college at NAU. But then I moved up to Seattle and spent some a couple decades up there. And then I made it back finally. Um, so it's been just, you know, moving around with different jobs, different life situations. Once in, I was in Seattle when I was finally able to quit my day job and work from home as a writer. So then I, we could move wherever. And so my husband and I discussed it and we came visited and loved it. So here we are. So uh, I imagine there are a lot of, uh, and I know, I know this, for, I don't even have to imagine, I know it for certain, that there are a lot of authors out there who just heard you say I could quit my day job and, <laughs> and completely work from home, and they are dying of envy at this moment. Uh, what, what was the key to that, in, in your opinion? How, how did you uh, finally cross that, that step, that important step that most people are dying to take? Oh, and you know what? And and to be honest, it's very nerve wracking step step to make when you quit that day job because it is. <laughs> there's a lot of stability that comes with that regular paycheck. But you know, it was um, I really started writing in the mid 1990s, and I wasn't any I was really bad back then. But I kept trying and kept working at it um, and perfecting my my craft, if you will, as I went through life, finished college. I did the 10-year college plan. So it was a long course. But 
uh, I had a day job for a good 13, 14 years that I would work there and then come home at night and, you know, write when the kids went to bed, um, any chance I could get. And I burned the midnight oil getting by on five to six hours sleep, just trying to, you know, get better, produce books, get myself going. Um, and so I actually published, um, the, it was my seventh book in 2011 that was Nearly Departed in Deadwood, which it, it is the one that um, it won me several awards and, and had all kinds of fanfare that came with it, which was wonderful. But I still couldn't quit. There was no way financially. Uh, so it wasn't until 2014 that I was, well, 2013, I was able to quit later that year. And then 2014, we moved down here. But um, there was a lot of hard work that went into that doing double duty till I could, we could afford to, you know, for me to quit the day job. You bet. I know, I know that for a fact, and that's almost, it has a lot to do with why I started this podcast. I started actually working on a documentary uh, and it was called rock in the dream. And it was based on um, a guy I had met while buying an amplifier for a, a replacement amplifier. When I had a problem, I had a gig that night and I, I just wanted a small amplifier. So I met this guy <laughs> and he told me I was living the dream. He, we were talking and he said, I was, I'm living the dream. And I laughed in his face and I said, I didn't, well, didn't want to be rude. I said, you don't know me. I'm not a rock star. I'm not rich and famous. I'm a, a working stiff musician who's done it all my life because I love it. I work hard at it, but you don't see all the hard work and all the crap that goes into it. And he stopped me. He said, listen, I'm 69 years old. I wanted to play in a band my whole life. Uh, I'm retiring now. I did well in the stock exchange, commodities exchange, uh, but I'm never going to play in a band. I'm selling you my amp. That means it's over for me. My dream is over. You're living my dream. It was a perspective change for me. (laughs) But I said, you know what? I have to do something to let people know that you can live your dream, but all the sacrifice and hard work uh, that people don't see, uh, you know, people see your books. They don't see you you sitting there uh, staring at a blank page and saying, where the hell am I going with this now? <laughs> or, and, and all of all of the uh, work that goes into, you know, and all the bad books that you had to write before you wrote your first good book. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I I think that's an important message to get out. And I thank you for bringing that to, uh, you know, authors and wannabe authors and beginning authors and, and people who just need some inspiration to keep going. Yeah, this this game is all about persistence. You just can't give up. You have to keep trying. And that doesn't mean go forth and write something that maybe, you know, an editor gets back with you and says, you really shouldn't publish this. And you publish anyway. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, you keep learning and trying to perfect what you do, whether it be the craft, um, whether it be marketing, um, or even your bookkeeping. Just keep working at it and get better at what you do. And it's I, I'm still thick in, in learning all sorts of different things in different ways to tell a story. Um, I'm learning marketing all the time because it always shifts and changes. Uh, you know, I'm getting to the age now where it's like those younger kids and the things they do, <laughs> but you know, uh, so it's, it's tough to keep up with, but uh, as I often say, marketing is half of this job, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, doesn't mean you have to spend all day on Facebook or wherever. It just means you have to be working at getting your book out there or whatever your product is. Right. That's the hardest part of anything. But I have to ask you, did that ever happen to you where an editor said, don't publish this? 
No, see, that was the mistake early on. That first book that I, I hand wrote it, and then I went in, typed it, and I sent a proposal off way back in the mid mid to late nine, 1990s. And I sent it over to London to the publisher that was publishing these kind of books that I was trying to write. And they wrote back, they said, no, thank you, but you show potential. So don't give up, keep trying. <laughs> and I believed them. So I kept going. Um, so I haven't really had any any publisher when I was submitting to publishers way back when, or agents that said, please stop, you're killing me with this. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, uh, I've had some different kinds of rejections where they point out what I'm doing wrong, which is great. Um, and just some, you know, straight up no thank yous. So yeah, I just kept pushing through. I mean, even so, when I published the first book, I am I'm currently completely independent, but back then um, I wasn't. I had an agent and we were going through different publishing houses trying to get you know, um, an offer. And we made our way through one of the big New York publishing houses through the editorial team up to the, the final acquisitions meeting. And marketing actually came in and said, no, we don't think this book is gonna sell. So I got canned by marketing, which was pretty harsh. Wow. Um, yeah. But, it, but you know, that lit a fire under me because it made me think, no, I, I think this, you know, the book I was writing, which was nearly departed to Deadwood, I think this has potential to find an, you know, an audience. And um, at the time there was something about it being in the Midwest where it was set, um, South Dakota, Deadwood, South Dakota, and they didn't think the market would be there. <laughs> and I, I said to my agent, what you think people in the Midwest don't read books or something like that? They're too busy on the tractor. I don't know. <laughs> I would so, think that they probably read more than people in highly urban areas or metropolitan areas, just because there's a lot more time. There's a lot more quiet and a lot more space. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and at the time I think they were looking, a lot of the bigger publishers were looking for either East coast or West coast stories, New York, LA, something like that. So this didn't really fit what they were looking for, but that really motivated me to go. Uh, what's the nice way of saying it? Screw you. I'm going to try this anyway, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I did because at that point, Amazon was, you know, new Kindles were, you know, a newer thing The e-readers, they weren't brand new, but there were so many new things going on with Amazon and there wasn't near the books there that are in there now. So I was able to jump in uh, and really start flying right away, which was wonderful. Um, on that note, you, you know, Lots of new authors all the time, publishing stuff, self-publishing stuff. And uh, I want to get your view on that. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that more people have the ability to self-publish with, and some of them aren't taking advantage of an editor and maybe shouldn't be publishing yet? Uh, is it a good thing for the business of and the cultural uh, aspect of, you know, as a society, reading has kind of, or I did it for a while, fall off. Do you think it's a good thing to have more authors or a bad thing for society in general? Too many authors, I should say. <laughs> well, it's complicated. Marketing-wise, of course, there's more, there's more out there to swim, you know, more fish in the sea. It makes it harder to be hurt. So put the marketing aside, though. As a reader, I am so happy that there are indie authors because I think a lot of stories weren't being told because editorial um, groups or marketing people in the publishing houses were saying, no, we don't think this will sell. Let's not give it a shot. 
where because of the indie world that um, has really ballooned, we are getting books from authors that we would never have seen. And there's some really wonderful, wonderful stories out there that don't fit the cookie cutter mold, but they're so great. And I, I really love that we have a much bigger selection that we can choose instead of a marketing department gets to choose, we get to choose what to read. And I think that's great. There are people that are putting out books that they just want to get them out and maybe they don't go through editing or they think they're really good editors on their own. And maybe they are. That's not the way I run my author business. Um, I think of it as I am competing with everyone else out there um, from the big names to the new people. So I have to make sure my books, the stories, the product itself is as clean as, you know, editing wise, formatting, the covers, everything have to be able to stand up next to, you know, what New York publishing houses are putting out. Right. Excellent. Excellent answer there. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> um uh, and it gives me something I, I kind of want to respond to that. I'm guilty of always or way too often comparing different art forms and, and thinking they're all the same in, in a lot of ways, or at least the same principles uh, apply. So when, when, you, when I hear you talking about um, more efficiency and all that stuff, the same is true of music in my view. I hear so many people saying there's no good music today. I think there's a lot of good music today. You just have to look a little harder to find it because right. there, there's so much everybody has a recording studio everybody has the ability to self-publish their own music they can flood um spotify and apple itunes and wherever you find music with a lot of really amateur sounding stuff and it may it turns you off to music completely if you if you accept that if and especially if you're lazy and just say okay i'm just going to listen to what what i can find quickly rather yeah. than and really do the, your homework and find the quality stuff and then when you find the quality stuff you can be blown away and say wow this is a gem i never knew was out there same right. with books i think yeah um, very much so and you know what i find um I will a lot of times ask the readers that I'm with on social media or my friends, other authors I know on the side, I will say, you know, what are some of your favorite books? What are, you know, and I'll ask them rather than go to, you know, the big lists and whatnot, I will try to, if, if I know someone who likes the same kind of movies as I do, for example, or, and, and they read as well, I'll say, what kind of books, you know, tell me some books you've read lately that you love. So I think word of mouth is just huge now. I mean, it's always been big, but and the same I would think is going for music. Uh, I hear stuff where somebody says, you really should check out this author on you, or this author, this artist on YouTube. And so I'll go out and listen then, and then I'll start looking for them more. You know, it's, it's that word of mouth organic type of push for me more than somebody, you know, on the radio going, you got to hear the, be this new album, it's his best ever. Well, right. maybe. And you used the word cookie cutter before to describe authors. And I use that word, that, term all the time to describe what we hear on modern terrestrial radio is just cookie cutter pop and everything starts to sound the same and it turns people off and and then a lot of people who don't really have the time to go look for for the kind of music they want to hear uh they assume that that's all that's out there and, and that's a, a um negative thing for for so it, it is a, a double-edged sword i think uh but you also mentioned professionalism and this is a, a, a thing i think most people uh nowadays uh 
are lazy in that, and I'm totally guilty of this. But I've noticed a, lately because um, I follow a lot of smart people on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I noticed their posts, their tweets are immaculate as far as grammar, as far as uh, the economy of words, as far as spelling and all those things. And if we're lazy in that, especially in the artist community, it really uh, doesn't uh, lend well to lending your authority as uh, being an exceptional author, exceptional writer, whether you're writing music or, or, or for film or any of that stuff. So we have to be a little more careful with that stuff. What's your take on that? Yes. And you know, who is the, the one that really screws me over the most when I'm posting on anything, Facebook, Instagram, those guys, is this thing the automatic <laughs> auto correct? Oh my gosh! I actually shut off autocorrect because you know, and I have in my Deadwood mystery series. She has problems with her phone doing that to her as well. And after I wrote that, I kid you not, I started having more and more problems. Maybe I did it to myself somehow, you know. Um, but yeah, it. I'll, I'll put something out there and I'll look back and go, oh, that's just not even what I said, those are two, you know, chicken instead of <laughs> beef or something. It's like, where did you come up with this phone? So yeah, yes. And I did have at one point, this was a couple years ago, a reader say, you would think that an author would make sure that her spelling is correct. Right. And I was like, I'm going to kill my phone. Did, I'm going to put you, it in the toilet. Did, did you sleep that night? <laughs> uh, said a few curse words. Yeah. I'll be I honest. I went and checked out her. Um, it was a lady in her Facebook, and she had some errors in her spelling too. And then I felt better right. because it's not just me. She made mistakes on her page too. It's just she's not being watched as much as I am. Right. Well, and that that's that's the thing when you when you're putting yourself out there, you kind of. And I I am totally guilty of being lazy and and and. Well, really a bad typist and not proofreading my own work before I hit uh, send and all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's just something I think we should try harder at. And, you know, again, this is advice for people who have not yet uh, reached that place where they can take that step and be independent and get out of the cubicle and and write for a living. Uh, I I think it's important for them to hear. And, you know, the thing that's really key, though, is, as I said, I went and looked to see that she had made mistakes in her post too, which made me feel like, okay, she's human too. Let's just let this go. I did not say anything. I did not reply to her. I did not make any posts. You know, I just let it go. And that's really key because, and and some people might disagree, but I've seen so many wars go between, you know, and usually the author ends up wishing they would have kept their mouth closed, you know? So that professionalism goes into that even with, with social media and whatnot. Right. I, I, that's a lesson I've, it take, it's taken me probably 16 years now on Facebook or 14, I think 2006. I was one of the first adopters on Facebook and it take, it's taken me all that long to realize I don't have to respond to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you don't. I know it's hard. I mean, I can tell you, you know, I've been what, uh, nine, 10 years almost now, 2011, you do the math nine years. I, you know, it's still, I still feel stabbed in the back. I still take the hits just like, you know, when I was younger and newer and it still hurts, but there's calluses, but you always, I mean, there's always this, the little, oh, that one burned, you know, and I don't know, maybe if I had a real big ego, it would go away, but 
I still, you know, I, I'm always building calluses <laughs> constantly. So, so, um, Deadwood was, that wasn't your first book. That was your first really successful book, I guess. Uh, it was the first book I published. Um, it was the seventh book I'd written, but it was the first one that actually was published out there. So, yeah, I mean, um, and I've published about three of the ones prior that I'd written, um, after fixing them and, and going through extensive editing. And, and what was what was the inspiration to go in, into that part of the world and that in in back in uh, time a little bit in uh, <laughs> and and the whole um, Western motif of it? What was the inspiration behind that? Because you're well, not you're not a native Arizonian, which <laughs> so, now my my mom and stepfather moved to Deadwood, South Dakota when I was in seventh grade. Wow! So um, I went back and forth between Ohio, where my father lived and my mother in Deadwood uh, throughout the year often. And so, and when I was in Deadwood, um, way back when I didn't have a phone, of course, or anything like that. So I'd go down when she worked at, at one of the stores where she worked in town and I would hang out in Deadwood for eight hours while she did her shift. Now it's not a huge town. It's about 1200 people, right? So I did a lot of time just sitting on benches, watching people. One of the places that would let me in for free and had air conditioning was um, one of the local museums. So I spent hours at the museum there in Deadwood, just reading in the air conditioning and reading. And so I really uh, learned so much history. And then when I wasn't in town, uh, my stepdad was really big on going out and having adventures in the, in the Black Hills. So we would go um, finding some old mines or old mine buildings and we would explore around them. Uh, so I, I had so much fun spelunking, if you will, back before everything was shut down and closed off for insurance reasons. Um, and, and just exploring the Black Hills and the history of the Black Hills. So it really was kind of a natural thing for me to set a book series in this world because I knew it so well. Right. Do you feel, like you're, you feel like you're living in the, the right time? <laughs> well, you know, my husband says he, he probably would have been better back in, you know, the 1800s, mid 1800s, and he probably would have. But me, no. <laughs> I like modern plumbing. I like, you know. He, oh, yeah. I like all the good stuff. Well, when we tend to fantasize about um, bygone eras, we forget about all the conveniences we have. I know. I like I like the healthiness. I mean, for the most part, I know we have COVID right now, but all our modern medicine, I love. So right, right, yeah, I, I don't want to go before that when, you know, the horrible tragedies that happened all the time. A, a tooth, a toothache could kill you if you didn't get to the dentist, you know, right. and there weren't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we overlook all that stuff because we romanticize stuff. It's almost like, um, I, I say this often about people and who, you Know, don't look that far back. They looked back to say the 1950s or 1960s as a romantic or nostalgic time. And I say it's like <clears throat> going back to your old elementary school. It was so big when you were there and it seemed right. so huge. You walk in there, it feels like, how did I even fit in here? My head's going to hit the ceiling. <laughs> I know. I was just talking about that with my kids the other day that when they go back and talk, you know, when they're older, they'll go back and their school's going to look really small. And they were <laughs> looking at me like I was crazy. But I'm like, <laughs> you don't get it. Your kindergarten room's like tiny, yeah. you know? And we we treat we treat the past the same way as we do, uh, you know, our memories of our childhood and all that stuff. Right. So so um, but you you didn't stop with just one book writing about you know uh, this kind of stuff. And some of the, as I mentioned in the intro, sometimes the 
uh, cowboy hats on the cover are on skeletons. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, what where did the two kind of uh, come together? <laughs> well, so I had it, one of the books I'd written before I, I I published, or I'd written the the nearly departed Deadwood story, the first of the Deadwood mystery series. I had written this book, or two of them actually, Dance of the Winnebago's and Jackrabbit Junction Jitters, which took place down in Jackrabbit Junction, Arizona. It's really a, a fictional South a town in southeastern Arizona in the middle of the desert at an RV park, uh, you know, kind of little setting. So with some mysteries and it's treasure hunting, uh, more adventure in that one and and crazy characters. So one of the first things in the in the first book, Dance of the Winnebago's, she finds a leg bone. So that was really and, and it belonged to this guy named Sam. Is, at least that's what she calls him, Sam. So Sammy the skeleton started to become part of my brand, along with the purple boots, which is goes with the Deadwood series. So all of a sudden I had skeletons and purple boots. And I, I used to have on those covers, um, just like from the neck down, a female holding body parts or whatever for the, for the Jackrabbit <laughs> series. And that was fine, but it was getting to where it was confusing because the Deadwood series, I don't really, you know, it's from the neck down with a weapon usually. And I wanted to make it uh, change up the branding on that series a little bit. So we, I went with the skeletons because I think um, for one thing, skeletons are a lot of fun, can be. Um, and for another, it just sounds funny when you say that, but for another, my, brother who is my cover artist uh, he draws the original art that we use for all the covers in my books he is really good at drawing skeletons and funny you know different stuff he he'd done some work with uh, a publication that was had grateful dead stuff in it for a while so it, i, I was going to say the artwork seemed reminiscent of grateful dead stuff yeah he had <laughs> a couple things that were published i believe in in they have a magazine i think yeah. so he had some of the i just always loved his skeleton art and the funny stuff i mean he has one a skeleton in a bubble bath it's and it's got the grateful dead some of the stuff with it so it, it just seemed natural to go okay let's mix this up and try some skeleton Plus that series um, in branding it, it wasn't really, I mean, it does have some romance in it, but it has also these crazy old army vets that are far from romance. I mean, in the first book, they're down there at this RV park to pick up babes. They're retired old guys and, and they're merciless. They're there to pick up babes. And Claire, the heroine's not supposed to be there. Her mother sent her to keep her grandfather from picking up a gold digger. So she's going, I mean, she's smoking cigars, playing cards with these guys in their RV, but they treat her like one of the guys, which <laughs> it's kind of, it can get kind of rowdy. So I wanted it to feel like um, if you looked at the cover, you weren't picking up like a romance or a straight mystery with, you know, who did what. It was more about the characters and the funny, you know, the humor that's throughout the stories. Right. So that's where the skeleton came in. Well, it would seem to me because, and this is something I've said a, a lot, and I think people think I'm being sort of prejudiced in a, in a way that romance uh, novels, especially, are almost exclusively female audiences. Now, I'm guessing that you have, because you have this kind of rich character stuff and some of the, uh, I don't want to call it morbid, but, you know, dark humor kind of stuff on the cover that maybe you, you have more uh, more male audience than the typical romance writer. Yes. Yes, very much so. Um, I, 
I have a lot of guys and uh, it, social media wise, I tend to lean more towards female, but I just think that a lot of it has to do with who's on social media or what platform I'm on. I'm not on Twitter much. So I think, you know, a lot of times certain um, people will hang out more on Facebook versus other, you know, um, but I do have, um, I'm, I, I'm not bragging, but I do have a lot of male fans because they're really, like I said, there is romance, but it's not a romance. There's not a string throughout the every scene that has romance. Right. It's just right. a subplot in there because I've always loved a little bit of romance in my stories. So well, yeah. And I, I think uh, because if, if it comes off as too much of a, you know, uh, just a chick book, guys won't even give it a chance, but right. yours, yours don't look like that. They look like oh, they might appeal to guys who, like to Grateful Dead guys. They might appeal to biker guys. They might uh, appeal to guys who were into games and stuff, video games and all right, that. Right, kind of right. <laughs> and yeah. I really, I mean, like I said, I have in the Jackrabbit Junction se series, I have several of these army vets. They're in their mid to late 60s and they're uh, they don't watch necessarily what they say. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I often, um, sometimes people will come up with a younger kid that is reading uh, my stuff. And I always say, you, you do know what's inside the cover, right? And usually the parents are like, yes, we've gone through it. We know what's in there and he knows, or she understands, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not that I'm constantly swearing in them. It's just, like I said, these guys are there to pick up women and they're, they're not really expecting a girl to be there with them, you know, so they're going to say what they're going to say about the women they're dating. And, yeah. and, and in the midst of it all, we're finding treasures and there's murders and all kinds of stuff going on. So it's fun. It's, I just try to have fun on the page. So uh, I'm guessing, and I'm wondering where you ever found the time, but I know you sound like uh, you, you've led an interesting life in that you, you spent a long time in different colleges. I did too. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think that leads to an interesting life. Now, where I'm going with this is character development. It sounds like you have very rich characters in your stories. And I'm wondering where that comes from. Do, does, do you can you be taught? Uh, interesting character development, or do you have to live an interesting life and meet a lot of interesting people to do that? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's what you like. Um, when I go to, to somewhere, a party where I don't meet people or I don't know people, I mean, um, I won't, I like to go and find people and talk to them off to the side and then learn the funny quirks they have. Um, and not, it's just because there's, everybody has so many interesting stories usually to tell or something that happened. You know, it could be a college professor, but then you learn, well, he used to be an archeologist and he was down here and then he saw this happen, you know? So I really like exploring people's characters when I meet them. Um, I like to question, I'm, I always question too much probably, but I always start digging in to tell me about your history. Tell me about, you know, I wouldn't say that, but I'd say, tell me about this. And then I keep digging. And I think part of it is the writer in me. I'm building a little story in my head about you. And part of it is that's just what I find entertaining in a movie. Um, you know, you can see movies where it's all about the crime and it's very, ch -ch -ch. I always love stories where it's all about the characters and yeah, we could solve whatever's going on, but more important to me is the funny old guy and what he's been saying and how it comes out for him. You know, you better not kill that old guy. I love him, you know, right, so right. that kind of a thing. And, and I think that's why my, all my stories are character driven. It's not, 
If you're coming looking for hardcore crime in my books, you're not going to get it. Mine are, it's about laughing and having fun with this crazy cast of characters uh, and, and sequels so that you can keep hanging out with them and, and enjoy their, their sense of humor. I love those kind of stories. Uh, had, did you always, was this always in your uh, heart and, and in your ambition, even as a young girl to be a writer? No. <laughs> um, ironically, it, this is a, a story I've told before, but if for my fans, so they've heard it. But when I was in ninth grade, we had to, for I think it was ninth, yeah, art, an art project, draw what you want to be when you grow up. And so one of my good friends drew herself as a social worker and she did a really good job. Uh, and she is a social worker. I drew myself on a camel racing. So I wanted to be a camel jockey at that point. Um, and then I found out how they bite and spit and, and that women usually don't get to be camel jockeys. Yeah. That's not in that part of that culture. No. So then I of course wanted to be Indiana Jones and go into archaeology, but then I learned how much writing archaeologists have to do. And I thought, well, that's way too much writing. So I'm not going to do that. Ironically, <laughs> you know, now 30 plus books later. Uh, so I wanted to be a lawyer at one time. I, I mean, I just, I ran through so many different things. And what finally got me writing was, you know, I'd read books a lot as a kid and through early adulthood. And I wanted a story to end a certain way and it didn't. So I thought, well, I'm going to write the ending I want. And then from there, it was like, I'm going to write the book I want with the ending I want. And it just built from there. Wow. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting story. I had a guest on the other day who didn't write her first book until she was in her mid forties or early forties. And, uh, has, and that was in 2013. She's written seven and published 17 books since. And she's a yeah. writer. <laughs> but it never occurred to her that she wanted to be a writer at all. I find find that fascinating. Me, I always uh, in my in my heart of hearts always wanted to be a musician. There was a part of me that went I went to school for journalism. So there was a part that wanted to be a great novelist at some point. Didn't want to put up with the uh the career choices that you have to go through and all the, the crap that you have to go through to become a novelist from <laughs> from a typical journalist reporter type position so right uh, and straight into songwriting and all that stuff but radio i found my way into radio by accident when i was uh, almost 30 years old i loved being in radio and then um by accident <laughs> I dropped I dropped some f bombs on live AM radio. <laughs> it was 1990, and so the FCC uh, had me fired and fined, and I couldn't get. I was blacklisted in my local area. Could never do radio again. So, I, 30 years later, I decided, you know what, podcasting is close as close to radio as I, you know, and I can't get fired. So if I slip up with an f bomb here and there, I'm okay because uh, nobody's going to fire me. So that's how I. <laughs> But it's unusual how sometimes how the, the life choices we make lead to uh, us finding our real purpose in, in what we do. And that that's uh, so do you feel like you're living a dream? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, overall, yeah, because if my if I need to do uh, my kids in fourth grade, each of them as they went through, they had a, a trip to the Grand Canyon, which is part of the normal field trips here for public school, as crazy as that seems. And I say that because when I was a kid, we went to the slaughterhouse, you know, where that we that was our field trips or the local <laughs> little lake. 
But here we do the Grand Canyon. And because I'm able to adjust my schedule, however, I can do that. I can go with them, you know, at the drop of a dime. I can pick them up from school. I can do um, so many things that, you know, I don't have the time restriction. I don't have to worry about talking to my boss. Um, I just have to worry about in the middle of the night when my boss is chewing me out in my head, right? Hurry up right. and get yeah, the book yeah. done. I know that one. But I mean, we we do a lot of traveling, my husband and I, regarding relating to books and book signings. And really, the only thing that keeps us from being even more out there is my kids are going to school. So I feel fortunate that um, I can do what I need to do to help keep building this business um, and do, you know, marketing and then still have a life with my family and spend time with my kids. Even if it means I write until 2 a.m. because I was hanging out with my kid watching a movie, you know, instead of writing. So right. in that uh, way, yeah. I almost hate asking this question because I almost feel like you're compelled to say yes. Do you enjoy the book signings and getting to meet the, the readers or is that work? It's, you know, it's work. I'm not naturally outgoing and yeah, you know, let's go hang out with all kinds of people. That's not me. Uh, and I think a lot of writers struggle with that as well, because we tend to be more, uh, we want to be at home writing in our own world, in our pajamas or whatever, you know, not out there, you know, smiling and, and being like an actor or an actress where they, you know, put all this energy out there. So it's not my favorite thing. And I still get butterflies a lot um, when I know, all right, here we go. Especially if I'm going to have to speak or talk. I, I, you know, before I start, I'm like, uh, I don't know what I'm even going to talk about. And my husband will laugh. He's like, oh, you can talk for two hours about nothing. Come on. <laughs> you know, because I've been doing this a long time. But yeah, it's it's still hard. Well, and I can relate 100% as being a musician and, and entertainer my whole life. Um, I love the response from a crowd, an audience who loves the work. But when they want to come up and have one-on-one -on -one conversations with me, I'm very shy and very introverted. And people who know me and they, they see this me, it's like, uh, what do you mean? You, you talk more uh, and you're more natural and more easygoing talking to strangers. And, and my memoir is going to be called uh, Talking to Strangers. Uh, <laughs> but you're more more comfortable doing that than I've ever seen you with people who you know love you come up to you after a show and you just, you know, coil away. And, and I just I'm not comfortable in that social situation a lot. But here talking to you, it's, it's just as easy as can be. So it, I, I relate right. to that completely. Um, you, you mentioned you have kids. Now, are they readers? Are they, uh, are, you know, are they involved in reading? They, they're not as big as readers as I would have liked. <laughs> but that's always the case, isn't it? No matter what your parents do, you kind of go the other way. But yeah. to be honest, my son, who's going to be 16 in February, he has, he wrote a book in the last year. So, and it's, it's a 90,000 word book. It's a steampunk fantasy kind of story. And he just started in. And before that, I was like, uh, he, he read a few things for school, but it just started pouring out of him. Uh, and his imagination is wonderful. So, and my daughter, she's 
now that she's old enough that she can start picking things to read instead of just what school tells her she has to read, she's starting to enjoy it um, so much more. Once she realized oh, there's books out there that I like that don't have the dog die in the end, you know, or something <laughs> like that. I, I think know. you're talking about Old Yeller. Is that <laughs> well, uh. right now, oh, she's reading the one. Uh, they just made a movie with Harrison Ford. Um is it Jack London that wrote the story? Uh, the dogs. I can't think of it up in Alaska. But, and she keeps coming to me with updates about now this dog died or this dog <laughs> they're going to have to kill. And she's just devastated because she loves animals. And, yeah. and I think, gosh, you know, it would be nice if you'd let, you know, if kids could have maybe a choice on a couple books to read because some of these are so hard on them emotionally if they are, you know, like an animal lover. Um, wow, and it, that's a great point. Uh, what you that you just made there is that, and you know, because I'm always concerned about the the younger people not reading as much. Uh, and right. I think the key to that is we're forced to read this curriculum that people came up with 50 or 60 years ago, or even longer. Of course, kids aren't interested in in what my parents read. <laughs> I know, I know. Now, what's really nice, my son who's in uh, high school. The English teacher uh, this year said, you know what, we're not going to read this one that was on the curriculum, and I can't remember what it was, but I think I, what we're going to read is, I think it's iRobot that he's reading, which he loves. Yeah. So I love it that the English teacher went, you know, let's maybe pick something that the kids are going to be into more, and and not to say you shouldn't read the classics, and, and you know, there isn't value in that. It's just... Um, Sometimes you're going to get a kid more into reading, I think, if it's a story that they're going to enjoy on whether it's funny or adventure, you know, something a little bit more, you know, Treasure Island. I love Treasure Island. Let's read that in school because that's really fun and, you know, it has a fun ending. Right. And that's a classic. So, but I don't make the curriculum. I just make my kids read. You got to read what your teacher says and get that grade in. So, right. Do you do audio books for your books? I all of my books are in audio. I don't read them myself because I am not uh, an expert narrator. I'm amazed at narrators and all they can put into just reading, you know, with the acting and stuff. And I have none of that. And are, I tend to yawn when I read too much. So yeah, that's are, no good. Are they? Are, do you have any? Uh, input in the process at all or, or you just trust somebody else to get it right no fortunately because i am independent uh and even before when i i the for the first three years i was uh i co-owned the publishing company that published my books as well as other authors so i started off publishing as well as writing when i finally got the books out and then i pulled away and walked away from the publishing company because writing takes up too much time and that's what i wanted to do so but because of that i was able to work directly with uh, like the narrator for my Jackrabbit series. And as for the narrator for my Deadwood series and uh, the Undertaker series, which is going to come out next year, I'm a, uh, we were able to listen to a bunch of different narrators and then choose and then talk to um, the company I'm going with for those audiobooks and say, look at, this is who we like. Can we get these per people, you know, and we were able to. Um, Carolyn Schaefer does all my Deadwood books and she's just an amazing um, reader, narrator. And then uh, Jason Culp, I believe is who we, the name, I, my husband would say yes or no, but that's who's reading our Deadwood Undertaker series. And, and these guys are just incredible 
with with what they do. And then Lisa Larson reads all my other stuff, and she's really good too. And I work directly with her, which is fun. Well, uh, I'm looking right now over, and I have the link to your Amazon page where people people can buy all your books. Um, and I'm looking at it right now. You've written. You are extremely prolific. There's a lot of books here. Do you know that? Do you know the number? Uh, I think I'm thirty published stories books now 30 yeah um just the last one we put out uh can't write around it third in the deadwood undertaker series and that one i co-write with my husband that was my 30th i want to ask you about the sam lucky but at first i wanted to uh share a little i i had a arch enemy (laughs) yeah yeah i had an arch enemy uh back in the early before facebook there were yahoo music groups and i had a uh i established a character uh, I invented a character within myself to be Hank Porter in the Lonesome Cowboys, and I created an old Western character. I used to paint my hair white, paint my mustache white, paint my beard white with house paint, and, yeah. and look like an old Western singer in the you know from the 1920s. Told yeah. people I was 80 years old, and there was a guy who had a band called Jackalope Junction, uh, and uh, he was my arch enemy. He hated me because he was the he thought he was the only one who could tell that I was just a parody and that <laughs> that i was fooling people like i was a con man taking their money and like anybody with any sense could uh could see that it was meant to be parody and kind of tribute to that kind of stuff but right. he, so when i saw jack rabbit junction i was instantly reminded of my old uh, arch enemy <laughs> jackalope junction uh and and I, I actually wrote a song about it called you're you're so dumb uh but <laughs> jackalope jackalope you must be smoking some pretty good dope um <laughs> Is Jackalope's part of uh, of the legend out there? I know you got Jackrabbit Junction, but is, yeah, you, you hear about Jackalopes out there? Oh yeah, yeah, they've got the postcards all over. You know, you go into a place and they always have the picture of the big Jackalope out yeah. there. I think he. Uh, so that's a fictional town that you made up, though, or is it real, Jack? Jack. It is. That one is fictional. I made. Um, I. It's really based on a small town that really is there in the same location, and it's the town um, which really is just a pit stop where three roads come together. But I changed it to Jackrabbit Junction, and then made it. You know, the surrounding stuff is similar, but it's different. So I kind of built the world, but you can still go to that area, and and see it and a lot of times with the deadwood series especially fans really enjoy going there um so they can live kind of in it it's like you know harry potter land and what's cool with the deadwood stuff um i really with the help of some locals i try to keep so much of it like the real buildings that are there if they're public like the library is the library and you can go through it and you can go in the south dakota room where several scenes take place so there's an opera house up in the neighboring town where book four is all about that opera house and one of my um friends was actually walking through it making sure i had everything right on the page and you can now do what's really cool is they have the ann charles tour of it that you can wow. go through so you can see the parts in the book so that makes it even more fun because it's a real place and you can go hang out there and see it and then you know your imagination goes forth all right tell me about this sam lucky guy i think i want to be him at least that, from what i can tell so far tell tell, <laughs> tell me about him and where where he came from <laughs> <laughs> sam lucky well we've been married for oh over 20 years now um 
And he's been there from the start, you know, helping me out, uh, whether it's just background and helping with IT or brainstorming um, a lot of different stories, we would brainstorm together. So he's always been part of it, but he's really always kind of stayed in the background and, you know, just helped with all kinds of stuff. He does the formatting. He's a graphic artist um, to put the covers together. So there was a series um we were talking about this whole female undertaker in the old West and that you never hear about a female undertaker in the old West. Right. So we kind of wanted to um, start, you know, having this story about her, but then also I like to tie all my worlds together so that every there's crossover characters and crossover stuff. Cause I think it makes it more fun as a world and Charles world. And what I, we were wanting was something where it's exactly the same Deadwood with all some of the same supernatural characters, but then a hundred and plus years ago, 150 years ago, and what was happening then when Deadwood was a gold town that ties into the supernatural that's happening now in the current Deadwood mystery series. So that's where, um, but if anyone who reads or writes any kind of historical book knows you have to get it right. You have to get details right, or you'll, you know, tick off the readers or right. the, you know, viewers if it's a show. So I don't have the time with all these other books that I work on to really go into that much research. And he loves it um, and has always enjoyed it. So that's where um, it's really fun to to write with him because he he can tell you the gun. He can tell you the kind of bullets. He can tell you when this was happening and at what point when the railroad was being built and where they were at at this point. So he does all of that historical research in detail and incorporates that into the Deadwood Undertaker series. And then I get to come in and play and have fun with the supernatural. And, you know, together we do stuff with all that. So that's... Um, my husband, Sam Lucky. So we, we joke that, you know, we've remodeled houses together. We've had children and cats together. It was only a matter of time till we started writing stories together, too. He's kind of lucky. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you mentioned, you know, doing your research and getting that stuff right. And what really, um, what I love about that era and, and the old West and stuff is the the gunslinger characters and the uh the bad guys the the outlaws and but and when i see a, a, a movie or read a book that i know has gotten something wrong it definitely turns me off to it but uh, on that note though there's also so much lore that there are conflicting stories and all that kind of stuff now of course you talk about when the railroad came in that stuff is well documented but when you talk about certain characters or historical events a lot of times you can get conflicting information do you right. stay away from that or because uh, when you when you come up to well there, there's there's three or four schools of thought about what this person in historical uh, South Dakota or whether it's uh, Arkansas or New Mexico or right, Arizona. Right. What, do you stay away from it then? Or do you say, I'm just going to pick my gut and say which one I believe in? Well, okay. For example, Deadwood, Wild Bill Hickok. Um, right. Anyone who knows history of Deadwood knows that he, he was there. He died. Calamity Jane. She's part of that Seth Bullock. We tend to, you know, we might mention it that he was here or um, he's over there, but we do not go into that character being a character, even a secondary character, because there are so many different school of thoughts. And you're going to, we, it, our story's not about Wild Bill. 
it's about Deadwood, you right. know? And so just having him there as part of the scenery is what's important. Not, not having him as a character for us in the story we're telling. And that's, so, that's enough for a guy like me just to know he's there uh, to keep yeah. me interested in the book, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The different characters. I mean, we, we touch on them, but we're, we're trying to tell you about these other characters that were there that maybe aren't, you know, aren't known throughout history, but they were there and life went on, you know, around these huge named, you know, people from history. Right. Do you think uh, about um, when you start to write a book, you are, you already have the uh, in, entire story worked out in your head about you know where it begins, where where, the, where it goes, and where it ends. Or does that evolve for you as you're writing? It's a mix. I'm you know I'm not one of those complete pantser writers, as they call them, who just sits down and it pours out without any structure. I like to go ahead of time and come up with a skeleton of the plot, uh, with turning points and black moment and the ending wrap up enough so that I have the confidence to go, I can write the story. There is enough story here to write. It's not going to just fizzle out. Uh, and then what I tend to do myself is scene and sequel within each chapter. I will break it down into each scene and each sequel and build the story with those building blocks rather than, um, you know, focusing on really detailed synopsis or totally fly by night. So I, I tend to use that more to get me through, you know, the roller coaster ride, um, having a bunch of quick scenes that are action, 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 rather than a long sequel that's all about how we feel about that action. Um, there's a point when you use those sequels, but you keep it the action, you know, so structuring it that way is, is really where, what works for me and my brain. Right. Uh, do you do you talk to a lot of uh, authors about your process and all that stuff, or um, is it? Because I know musicians just love to talk about that kind of stuff, and filmmakers love to talk about that stuff. When you see anybody in crafts and arts, I I think they generally do love to kind of dissect the process and what. How do you do it, and how do I do it? And right. what, do you do a lot of that? If I go to a writing conference or some kind of conference where there's a bunch of authors that I don't know and I haven't met before and I'm there alone, let's say, or I want to get to know a few people, I will sit down at the table and I will start asking what their process is because I know that's a great way to get conversation going. Right. Otherwise, if you were sitting down with me, I wouldn't probably not talk to you about my process because, you know, I've done it so many times that to me, it's just not entertaining for me to, you know, it might be interesting for someone else, but I just feel like I'd rather talk to you about that crazy thing you said your mother did. And <laughs> how in the heck did she fit that in Tupperware? That is where I will tend to go with um, working with writers. Cause Again, I want to know the character. Um, I think it's wonderful. There's so many authors out there and they, they want to talk about, you know, how to do it. But I've been doing this long enough that I really just want to know about the crazy uncle you have, you know, right. and, and that kind of stuff. Because that fuels my imagination and 
helps me build more characters and funny traits. Well, if you ever really uh, want some really wacky stories about those kind of uncles and, and mom and pop and all that stuff, uh, I'd be glad to lay on a couch and just. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Because that would be so fun. I think I would just, I would not laugh if you didn't want me to laugh. Um, um, I would keep a straight face, but I would have a lot of laughs. I think There's no laugh. way you could do it without laughing. There's, <laughs> it's, it's just impossible. Um, so you have so many books and I have the. Um, the URL and charles.com. It's pretty simple. Uh, going across, it will be in the description clickable and they, the link to the Amazon page. Where do people begin with you? Should they start with, with, with the first Deadwood book or uh, it, start with the book that's you have currently the last book you published? Where, somebody it's, looking at you as a new new uh, author that for them to get interested in, where do they start? I usually ask what kind of books you like to read. Are you looking for action adventure? Are you looking for some Western mixed with, you know, adventure? Do you like supernatural um, kind of stuff in your stories? Because several of my series have that, but Jackrabbit Junction does not have the supernatural. And that's like action adventure, um, some suspense, a lot of humor, a little bit of romance. So I kind of try to figure out, you know, what, what are you looking for? What's your typical thing to start with that makes you, you know, excited to start a book? You know, the contemporary Deadwood mystery series, I do have mystery in the title and there usually is a mystery to solve within, but like I said, it's about the characters. So, um, and that goes supernatural. It's a buildup, but it does, it keeps building supernatural. And then the old West series that has supernatural mixed with uh, Western and a lot of humor. So I kind of just get a feel that my dig site series is all archeology span and action adventure down in my, you know, part of Mexico. Oh. So you can always, if you like the Indiana Jones, which I do, there's that series for you. Now they have crossover characters all over. So um, you might learn that so-and-so is the brother of so-and-so and you might actually see him show up on, you know, on the page. And then maybe you'll go, well, I want to learn more about this guy. And then you go read his series. So that's the fun um, kind of stuff I like to do with crossing over the characters is just keep mixing it all up. Um, I think, and I know some authors have told me, you know, it, that's a pipe dream and it's something that of course crossed my mind, but, uh, it's not really ever going to happen. And I don't really think about it too much. The idea of adapting to a screenplay and, and, and making a movie out of some of your books, did that ever cross your mind? And do you, uh, do you ever, ever actively pursue that? It has crossed my mind and I've had, um, some folks contact me off and on. I've resisted uh, at this point. I I don't think I know enough yet about uh, screenplays and all the pitfalls that come. I've heard lots of horror stories of what can happen. Um, and I always feel like I don't have enough content yet for a series to get started because I think, oh gosh, they'll move so fast. And then I'm stuck just writing that series to try to keep ahead of everything, you know? Um, So I, I think there's a lot of, um, we could have a lot of fun making different series of the stories and the way I write is much more visual. Um, I learn visually by watching movies. So I try to, when you read my stories, a lot of readers will say, I can see it so clearly. You make it such a visual thing. Um, So I think they would translate well, but um, I'm so busy just trying to keep up with five different series that I write that I don't really work on pursuing anything outside, getting them all out in print, audio, and ebook at this point. Well, that's kind of unusual, but I will say that um, 
Westerns are making a comeback as far as film and television. And, and I, you know, I love that stuff. I mean, Me I'm too. Just, uh, <laughs> I am, I'm a huge Western fan, especially mixing it up. I even like Cowboys and um, Aliens, you know, that movie that was out. And a lot yeah. of people will go, are you kidding me? But I, I love the mix. I love it when you mix Western with so many different things and, and just Westerns. It's awesome. You know what one, the poll, uh, the, I think it was a Twitter poll, but it might have been a Facebook poll for the best Western ever, ever produced. What? Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a space <laughs> Western. It really is. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Uh, right. But uh, that startled me to, to hear that. And then when I had thought about it, I said, oh, yeah, of course it's a Western. I never really thought about it in, that, in those terms before. Yeah. But, yeah, I love the mix. Uh, well, it's been really, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure to get to know you and your work. Uh, please, you know, every every time you come back a book, uh, put out a new book, you should come back and and um, and help promo it start here <laughs> i would love to because i've got to hear about what you wanted to tell me when you're laying on the couch spilling all the you know juicy stuff about family and friends and oh, that stuff oh believe me it's i'm I, again i want to write a memoir and I, i've talked to several authors about this about the idea of writing a memoir and uh, i'm my my reluctance so far or what my writer's block towards it i have got some ideas and started to put stuff down is that uh, I don't trust my own memory on a lot of things. Like uh, my brother even called me up and and was extremely surprised about some of the things that happened that he never knew about. And uh, you know, like my father and, and my uncle taking me on a hit uh, <laughs> when oh I five, five years old. Yeah, in the back yeah. of a car in, in East New York, keep your head down because bullets are flying. Uh, uh, that kind of stuff. So yeah, uh, there's a lot there to my story. But um, when I said that's kind of unusual, the idea of always having like lots of series. I think most people, when they get started writing a book, they're going to write this book and then they're going to write a different book. Uh, a couple I've met that get tied into series. So you have three series, uh, five series? Five different series, yeah. So is the fear if you write a different kind of book, you're going to have to write another series? <laughs> Well, you know, it's those character-driven stories. I don't like to say goodbye because I think there's still much more to tell. I mean, take you. Look what happened when you were a kid. That's just one part. You know, the first the first few episodes of your series. Now right. we need to go into the, what happened in your teens. Right. I just think when it's a rich character story, there's so much to tell that I want to keep you know, looking through the keyhole and watching what's happening in there and sharing back to the readers what's going on. So, yeah, I have a problem. When I start a series or start a book, it tends to go into a series. Um, and it just seems like it opens up and there's so much there that you, we can explore. So, and, and I think it's that way with people. I if know you, that feeling that when, you, when you're really enjoying a movie, it, you know it's about to end, but you almost wish it would keep going on sometimes. <laughs> right, right. And thankfully in fiction, you know, there's so much that can happen to make each book um, stand alone in its own way of, uh, you know, a full plot and something to solve by the end, which I do in, you know, every book we, we solve something, but then there's always little things that move you into, well, that's going to happen in the next book or whatever, you know, and we'll have to figure out what that all meant. So wow. it's really fun to build a series and, you know, chain them together and keep having this ongoing crazy world. And I think fans like, it. I mean, I know I'm into the franchises. I enjoy, you know, movie after movie or TV show after TV show where it keeps going. It's, it's fun. Right. 
Well, uh, again, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get to know you and about your work. And I hope people will support you. I'll get in the uh, you. URL is anchals.com. Couldn't be any simpler than that. Book. <laughs> and it, it will be in the description as, long, as well as the Amazon link to uh, where you can buy all her books that are out. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you. Uh, you know, please come back. All right. I would love to. Thank you for having great, me. Great. Thanks for, for coming in. Uh, have a great night. And bye for now. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by Vapor DNA. Founded in 2013, Vapor DNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code ORIONQ. And Charles, uh, good stuff there. You know, I, I love that Western stuff. I just... Uh, I, I over romanticize about the, the wild west and, and the freedom and the uh, but Deadwood has always been a mess, magical, um, mystical place for me. Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Utah, all that stuff. It's just for me, it holds some special magic. So, uh, interested in her books and then uh, that Mayan stuff, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that really gets me juiced too. So a lot of interest there. I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you got some value out of it. I hope you'll check her books out. Uh, and most of all, I just hope you'll read in general. You know, let's get back to reading. Nothing is nothing like reading a book. And we talked a little bit about audiobooks in there. 
and you've heard me say this before, but audiobooks are fine if you're like taking a long drive and want to uh, pass the time without listening to the radio. But there's nothing that replaces sitting down with a good book, getting into your own head, and just really enjoying a good book. That's uh, my closing rant for tonight. I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you come back, tell your friends about it, subscribe, go to my YouTube channel, subscribe there, go to mindogtv.com, get on my mailing list, and questions and comments for me, info at mindog tv.com info at minddogtv.com tomorrow at 1 p.m i have a guy named jay snooker <laughs> snooker nine i'm sorry but uh he's a self uh um uh, described uh healing guru has who has a book out it, it's called uh abundance a journey from anxiety to depression that's at 1 p.m tomorrow i hope you'll join me for that program till then i'm matt napple from the mind dog tv podcast thanks for coming have a great night bye for now there's no such thing as a jackalope so why are you acting like such a dope you think you're better than everyone else that's why you're in the theater all by yourself nobody comes to see you not even your mom and you think you're so smart, but brother, you're so dumb. Jackalope, jackalope, you must be smoking some pretty good dope. Cause no one's as good as you think you are. You ain't a virtuoso when you know all star. You got a lot to learn. And let me tell you, son. You think you're so smart, but brother, you're so dumb. It, looking down at it all You hold yourself so high that you're bound to fall And all you ever cared about was looking out for number one And you think you're so smart, but brother, you're so dumb Jackalope, Jackalope You're just a lost soul and you got no hope You're walking through your life with an empty heart you're angry at the world cause you're not on the charts And the songs you sing don't speak to anyone And you think you're so smart but brother, you're so dumb Yeah, you think you're so smart but Jackalope, you're so dumb